Kiss Army. You wanted the best, you got the best. Now close your eyes. You're about to be podcasting. Hello, welcome to your podcast. This is Gary Schaller. And this is James Hager. And I'm Ken Mills. And tonight we're going to do something a little different. And uh, it was an idea that James had, and we thought it was a great idea. So James, kick it off. Tell us what we're doing tonight. So I was sitting here talking to the guys when we did the last podcast, which was the um, return of the Return of Kiss episode. If you haven't listened to it yet, I strongly suggest you do. We were talking, and I was thinking, you know, this is my first new album, and it will be my first Kiss tour, And uh, even though I've been a fan for 10 years. And I was thinking just how much Kiss means to me. And, you know, I've been a part of the message board communities and whatnot for a good five or six years. And, you know, KISS means a lot of things to a lot of people. You know, be it fans of the former eras or fans of the current eras or fans of just all of it, you know. So I thought we could do a show focused not necessarily completely on KISS, but focus on KISS's effect and KISS's influence on their fans and the people who take pleasure from the art of KISS. Awesome. And I think that, um, you know, maybe the best place for us to start is really if we can kind of go around here and say a little bit about what KISS means to each of us. Uh, Ken, you've been a fan the longest. Sure. Um, And I'd like to say that in the beginning, um, there was a time when the, the KISS Army was just another band fan club. It was something you read about, and... You got to send in your $5, and you could become a member. And that, and that was the cost back in the days, believe it or not. You got the posters and the pictures and everything, but things went way beyond that. And to be honest with you, I didn't feel the full effect of the KISS Army until the 80s, when KISS wasn't so popular, when, when you had a brotherhood with people that... Uh, It wasn't because there was something trendy happening or it was the flavor of the day. It was because you shared something that went deeper than that. And in the 80s, which some call the lean years, um, we we, kind of bonded together a little bit more, the KISS Army. And it was great because you'd meet somebody that you'd never met before and you'd have an instant kinship. You'd have a language. You'd have uh, something to talk about and they would understand exactly what you were talking about and it, you know no, nobody else is, is like that <laughs> and and I'm sure that you guys experience that today right I think so sure and there's been and there's been times when I've been really down and I've been out and no this isn't an introduction to cold gin but um, we're we're just kiss the band kiss the music and the kiss army has kept me going it's definitely been fuel for my fire, and it, it means the world to me. I, I really do love my brothers and sisters in the KISS Army. Nicely said. Uh, James, you've been a fan the, of the three of us the least amount of time. Absolutely. What does KISS mean to you? C- can you put it into words? I've only been a fan for going on 11 years. Um, and of those 11 years, probably only the last five or six have I been a really hardcore KISS fan. Only really after discovering what the KISS Army meant did I, you know, really become a fan. Um, KISS has helped me through some of the hardest times of my life. Um, 
My father passed away the day after Christmas, um, my senior year of high school, and uh, I received the day before my KISS box set. And, I mean, there was nothing that got me through the depression that came afterwards and trying to still go to school and graduate with good grades so I can get into a college or whatever, like, you know, listening to the music that makes me happy. And then even talking to the people online that, you know, are also made happy by the same music, you know. Um, around here, I'm from, you know, central Kentucky. Um, there's not a whole lot of KISS fans around me, at least to my, you know, in my social circles. And there's especially not a lot of 23-year-old KISS fans at my college. Um, so, you know, I don't really get my KISS fixed by talking to, you know, my friends and stuff around here. So, you know, I do have the podcast and, and all the online stuff. And, you know, KISS really, it, it makes you believe that you can do things that, you know, you didn't think you could do before. You know, Gene Simmons is an immigrant from Israel, you know, and he came here and, and made himself a success. Uh, you know, Paul Stanley a poor kid from Queens, you know, has made himself a huge rock star. You know, Ace from the Bronx, Peter from Brooklyn, you know, they all came from nothing and have made themselves something. And it gives hope to all those out there that, you know, live to dream, live to win, so to speak. Nicely said. Uh, working as a psychologist, um, sometimes we notice where kids are concerned, um, and adults too, that people who have some secrets are often healthier. And it's kind of a weird thing to say, but um, people who have kind of like kind of secret places inside of themselves that they keep things that are important to them um, tend to be able to survive well. And I think that, um, you know, without getting too heavy about it, KISS has been that thing for me at times. And, um, you know, I moved from the Bronx to California, and that is like a culture shock in a lot of ways. Um, but I, I feel like a part of me is always going to be a, a kid from the Bronx. Uh, and similarly, I feel like, uh, you know, even though I work in a hospital, even though, uh, you know, I was a grad student, even though I did all that stuff and had to write like fancy papers with big words and all that, the, the part of me that I kept sacred uh, inside of my heart was the part that goes to concerts, screams along with those songs, um, you know, wears the black t-shirt, the ripped jeans, all that stuff, the part that kind of keeps me safe inside. And uh, it's a part that, you know, in my professional life and uh, school and all that stuff, I don't think people really understood it completely. Some people laughed about it, some people made fun of it, and, um, you know, some people said, oh, that's really cute, or I admire your sincerity, or uh, it's cool that you like something as much as you like Kiss but they don't get it, they never can get it. And that's okay, you know? Um, like, like, like you guys said, it's something that helps people survive, it helped me survive, it helped me get what I needed, wanted, whatever. And uh, I do feel like I owe a kind of debt of gratitude to KISS. I've thanked each of them when I've met them and uh, they couldn't have been nicer about it, so I'm lucky in that sense. When I talk to friends, you know, they don't always understand, or they actually never really understand my fascination and my and my love for Kiss. You know, it's always, well, Kiss has never, Kiss has never, you know, hit number one. You know, Kiss has never had a number one record. Who cares? You know, Kiss has always had my number one record. 
Kiss has always had my number one single. You can, you know, you know, Aerosmith, I love Aerosmith. They can have You Don't Want to Miss a Thing, or I Don't Want to Miss a Thing. It hit number one. That That is excellent. I will take a million to one over it any day of the week because it means something to me. It's kind of like this is uh, this is this is our gang. This is our colors. You know, and the, these are our colors. And um, I've 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 had people say, "Man, I wish I had something like you do." And I'm like, "What are you talking about?" Like, you say you you've got Kiss. There's always something going on. And and we're talking about a band that. Uh, tours rarely at this point and hasn't put out an album in a very long time but look at all that's all always been going on there's always something in the pipe there's always something happening and there was a, f a friend i had one in particular is a van halen fan and he was so envious what we have as kiss fans everything from all the dvd compilations to all <laughs> the different live albums all the different stuff because they basically have like six seven eight albums and that's it you know? Right, <laughs> and that's it. Let, let me, you know, let me ask you guys if you've had this experience. I, I, I'm guessing you have. Okay, uh, you're a Kiss fan. You're 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 a diehard Kiss fan, and you love them more than you'd probably tell a lot of people, or like more than you want to let on at a cocktail party, right? Mm -hmm. But you meet another Kiss fan, and it's almost like testing the waters. Not that you put them through the rigors necessarily, or like quiz them on the trivia. The it's more handshake. like. Well, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, it kind of is, but like, no, like you don't completely gush about them at first. Like you meet the you meet someone who says they're a Kiss fan. You're like, oh, cool, okay, cool, yeah, 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 yeah. And and then it's like little by little, each one of you sort of lets down your guard and is like, yeah, I have some bootlegs, you know. Okay, how many bootlegs? Three <laughs> hundred, you know. Like, and it's little by little you start to disclose how much of a maniac you are. Have you had that experience? Yeah. Who have you met? What have you? What concerts did you go to? Do you have right. this T-shirt? You, you know, all that stuff. Right. Uh, a boss of mine at work um, asked me just what kind of music I was into one day. This has been about six months ago. And then I said, you know, Kiss was my favorite band. And oh yeah, I saw them back in in '92. So testing the waters. And, oh yeah, what tour was that again? You know, he said, "Revenge, man, revenge." And so that was a cool stage. Probably goes, "Yeah, man, the Statue of Liberty, the Statue of Liberty." I was like, <laughs> right. <laughs> "Right on, man, right <laughs> on." Um, the the one thing is like, chances are wherever you work, or in the circle that you hang out, you are the Kiss guy. Am I yeah, right? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Oh, pretty much. Sure. It's it's kind of like we're you know something happens in the world of kiss you know uh they, they immediately run up to us like hey did you see that dr pepper commercial you've seen that right yeah or, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah i've exactly. that 15 <laughs> times this week earlier earlier this week i had someone at work come up to me and say happy ace fraley's birthday it was like <laughs> <laughs> i every year i've got uh, a couple guys i used to know on campus that'll they'll see me was it april 27th is that ace's birthday and they'll, they'll, hey James, it's Fraley's birthday. Wow. You getting drunk? <laughs> you getting drunk? Oh no. <laughs> I, I don't know. Um, I the the weirdest thing I've ever had like that, and then this is is kind of bizarre. When I, not long after we started this thing, um, I don't know if many of you people out here know this, but I typically do my part of the podcast in my dorm room. You know, before or after I do or do not do my homework. Um, completely naked. Completely naked. Um, and a friend of mine walked into my room and said, you do a KISS podcast, right? 
I said, yeah. He said, you do it out of your dorm room, right? I said, yeah. He was in a, a business class. And they were talking about upstart businesses out of dorm rooms. And someone who I don't know, have never met in my life, says, well, I hear there's a kid in Keen Hall that does a kiss podcast nice, out of his dorm great. room. That's really cool. Broadcasting live from... It goes farther than just your circle a lot of times, you know. Let's face it, guys. We are the Z-list celebrities in the Kiss Army, so we have to wear our badges with pride. <laughs> and speaking of famous people in the Kiss Army, real celebrities in the Kiss Army, uh, James, you had a cut you wanted us to play, right? What is this? Well, as many of you know, you know, Kiss has a lot of people in their army. They don't just have, you know, us citizens that you know work our nine to fives. A lot of musicians credit Kiss as being some of their major influences. You know. Um, I don't know if, you know, everybody's heard the story, everybody's watched uh, the Kiss Second Coming DVD, but, you know, the band Metallica actually watched a show of the reunion tour from the soundboard. You know, right. huge Kiss fans. And we all know, you know, the relationship between Kiss and Ted Nugent goes, you know, sure. back years. So what we have, this is from a New Year's Eve concert in uh, 1999 at the Pontiac Silverdome in Pontiac, Michigan, which, a little interesting side note about the Pontiac Silverdome, it does hold the number one largest indoor attendance record in the United States, 93,173 for WrestleMania 3. Are you serious? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. That's a lot of people. Yeah. That was the night that Hulk Hogan body slammed Andre the Giant and the world stood still. 1980 what? 1987. Wow. Anyway, on this cut, on New Year's Eve 99 at the Pontiac Silverdome, we've got Metallica, along with Kid Rock, Seven Dust, and Ted Nugent, all collaborating on their cover of Detroit Rock City.
That was Detroit Rock City from uh, New Year's Eve 99 at the Pontiac Silverdome, Metallica, Kid Rock, Seven Dust, and Ted Nugent. Um, obviously, it was a little unrehearsed, and they didn't exactly know all the lyrics or maybe even the solos or whatever, but... That's okay, because neither does Gene. <laughs> 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 you guys ever hear this version uh, from Stockholm on the Animalized tour? Boy, it's lame that I knew that. Is that the one where Paul gets stuck between the thing and Gene sings yeah. it? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I've never heard that before. Yeah, he sings a little bit of Detroit Rock City. Yeah, and it's uh, <laughs> not accurate. <laughs> it's pretty funny, yeah. It's pretty good. I've heard of it. Well, I've just never heard it. Well, let's... Okay, which... Who 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 was more accurate? Metallica and Kid Rock or Gene? It's like, uh, what was it, Love Gun in Anaheim oh, 2000? Wow. But I'll tell you what, when I met Gene uh, for, I think it was the second time, um, as corny as this sounds, you know, I said I said to him something along the lines of, you'll never understand how great it is to be a Kiss fan. And he shook my hand and looked me in the eyes and said, you'll never understand how much fans mean to us. And it was a really nice moment. Very, very cool. Very nice. Absolutely. Oh, wow. And then he said, now pick up your pants and move on. There's other people in line. <laughs> <laughs> it can't all be about you, Schaller. <laughs> when Kiss played in Australia in 1980, they, uh, they were uh, followed around by a comedian named Norman Gunston, and fans will recognize him from the, uh, the classic uh, press conference that they held. And also, um, he appears on the Inner Sanctum special, the, the Australia... 1980 Sydney, Australia um, special that was televised, I think, the following year. But he also recorded a single uh, that was kind of popular around the time that Kiss uh, visited Australia the first time. And the single is called, uh, what is it called? Marching in the Kiss Army, I believe. And we're going to play that right now. It's really funny. It's a parody of uh, I Was Made for Loving You. Give this a listen. Ah! 
Speaking of uh, members of the KISS Army, in uh, 1994, June 21st of 1994 to be exact, KISS released Kiss My Ass Classic KISS Regrooved. That is their official tribute album, um, featuring the likes of Lenny Kravitz, Anthrax, The Gin Blossoms, Toad the Wet Sprocket, Extreme, Lemonheads, all kinds of cool people. One uh, person in particular, um, Garth Brooks, who was a huge, huge KISS fan as a child, participated on the recording of Hard Luck Woman. Um, also in 1994, Kiss went on The Tonight Show with Jay Leno and performed Hard Luck Woman with Garth Brooks. So without further ado, here is Kiss with Garth Brooks doing Hard Luck Woman. If never I
I'll tell you what I love about that version is the vocal harmonies during the choruses. You could not get uh, cooler harmonies than that. It's just smoking harmonies. Great, great vocals. Uh, yep, absolutely. I agree. Well, here's my Garth Brooks story. When I was growing up and a young Kiss fan, my aunt, who was a big fan of Elton John and country music, I don't know what those two things have in common, but she was a huge fan of those two particular things. On the other hand, she hated a certain rock group named KISS. She would put up with us listening to it and carrying around baseball bats and tennis rackets and playing air guitar and broomsticks and whatnot <laughs> and painting up our faces as kids. But she always would call them the Screaming Demons. She would say, oh, the Screaming Demons are on again. She, she, she basically hated them. But there was a little station in our town called WGRP and they would play a few songs, one of them being Beth. My aunt liked Beth. Then a couple, you know, like a year or two later, there was another song by Hard Luck Woman, or called Hard Luck Woman. She thought it was by Rod Stewart for the longest time. <laughs> Little did she know, until we told her and ruined it, that it was the Screaming Demons. Nice. Well, a, f a few years ago, uh, my... All of my family was invited to go see Garth Brooks. And my aunt, who was in very poor health at the time, was able to go, thankfully. And we both went, and we sat beside one another. Actually, we kind of sat in front of Garth Brooks' mom and didn't know it until they introduced her to the show. But um, my aunt and I sat there, and at one point, he flew... He, they actually rose up off the stage and flew to the back of the Coliseum and sang a song, did backflips, came back. Stage caught on fire. They made this, it rain on the stage. There was pyro, rotating drum sets, everything. The first thing my aunt said to me when we got in the car, she says, I can understand why you like Kiss now. Nice. My aunt's no longer with me. She she passed away a few years ago, but she 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 always did like the softer side of Kiss, and she and my grandmother, believe it or not, liked the song "We Are One." I once made a family uh, a, a little movie with all of our family, all the generations of our family, and I put it to the soundtrack of "We Are One." So if you ask my grandmother what her favorite Kiss song is, it's "We Are One." Cool. And frankly, I can't think of any. Uh, song that really sums up the Kiss Army for me, then we are one. So that's my Garth Brooks story, and I miss my aunt. <laughs> Very cool story, man. There, actually, isn't there a rumor that he bought the Dynasty stage? Did you guys ever hear that? No. I never heard that. Yeah. 
I, I, I heard a rumor that he bought the Dynasty stage. Huh. <laughs> I imagine that like conversation going down when Gene met him when they were recording. <laughs> hey, man, can I buy the Dynasty stage? No, I think it was probably more like, Garth, I've got a stage to sell you. <laughs> <laughs> so we're <laughs> so he's a member of the Kiss Army. That's, all, Along right, with that's us. cool. If we could get him on here, we would. <laughs> I'm going to work on it. Very nice. Um, something that we wanted to also play here, a very cool clip. This is a, a soundboard recording of a sound check that KISS did in Santiago in 1994. And what's cool about this is we're all talking about what big fans we are of KISS. Well, obviously KISS have uh, their influences as well. And this is a, a sound check of KISS doing a, a kind of a medley of cover tunes. And, uh, um, you know, a little impromptu kind of jamming. But give this a listen. This is Gene Paul, uh, Eric Singer, Bruce Kulick, 1994. Rock on. With a smile on her
So here we are, we're talking about this army that we belong to, the KISS Army. Um, and how can we have a show about the KISS Army without talking about the man who founded it? And uh, that would be Bill Starkey, and he founded the KISS Army in Terre Haute. Of course, the famous story uh, goes that um, he and his friends surrounded a radio station demanding that they play KISS. And um, we were lucky enough to catch up with Bill Starkey a few months ago at uh, an expo in Indy. And uh, he was gracious, uh, kind enough to give us an interview. He talks a lot about his recollections of starting the KISS Army, what KISS means to him and to the world, and also gives some thoughts on the current state of KISS. So uh, this is an exclusive podcast interview with KISS Army founder, Bill Starkey. Give it a listen. Hi, my name is Bill Starkey, the founder of the KISS Army, and you're listening to Podkist. What brings you to the, the Indianapolis KISS Expo? I usually come to the KISS Indy Expo because I live here in Indianapolis. Right on. And tell us what significance with KISS that you have. I was the person responsible for the organization of the KISS Army back in Terre Haute, Indiana in 1975. Oh, very good. That's uh, the basically the first? Oh, first? absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So tell us a bit about that and how that all came about. I had been fortunate enough to follow KISS to the first couple of albums and I had the opportunity to see them in Evansville as an opening act and then, uh, then I saw them uh, a, a month later in Indianapolis as a support act and 
I went back to Terre Haute um, to tell my friends about what I had seen, believe it or not, and then we tried to get them on the, played on the local radio station in my city, and um, back in those days it wasn't uncommon to call the radio request line and ask for certain songs that you wanted played by certain bands, and basically the response was always the same, was that we don't play KISS and or the program director doesn't like KISS. He doesn't particularly like New York bands and all kinds of references like that. And so we were always constantly getting getting turned down. And eventually we made it into a situation where we started writing letters and calling at the same time. And through the help of a friend of mine who was also helping me at the time uh, by the name of Jay Evans, and we decided to call our little group the Kiss Army, wow. the two of us, and Excellent. it just grew from there. And into like over a million, I would say <laughs> now, eh? I guess so. Yeah, yeah. Big question, what was your very first exposure to Kiss? What was the first memory that you have okay. of them? I had saw a picture of Gene in our TV newspaper um, at the time when I was eating breakfast in the morning, and it was a picture of Gene, and it said that Kiss would be appearing on In Concert with Foghat. Well, the picture stood out to me, but eventually I was going to tune in just to watch Foghat. And Kiss just happened to appear. Well, I thought, well, I thought they were an established English band or something because they just looked way too sharp for somebody that was new. Wow. And after that, I got the first three albums, and it just snowballed after that. Then, of course, seeing them in concert was just... That was the ultimate after after the albums. I mean, the albums didn't do them justice. I could see why the why the shows were were that big a deal. Right, right. So the shows back then, as opposed to now, how are they different? Um, or are they? They're they're both unique in different ways. Um, today's shows were are right on par with what any, anybody else is doing. I think is visually, and it does, it's a good way of showcasing the band. I, but I think what impressed me about the early days was that um, the effort and the fact that these guys weren't on top of the world when I saw them, they sure did perform like it. And it, it was funny for a, a band that couldn't get on the radio. And it was funny because when I would go back to Tarot, my friends would say, well, if they're so great, how come they're not on the radio? And I would hear that in my high school. Mm -hmm. And again, that was part of the motivation because right. I couldn't answer that. You know, if they're so great, why aren't they on the radio? Well, right. they had to do something mm -hmm. about it. Right. Well, I guess they are so great because <laughs> it's 35 well, years that, later. Well, that, that came that came sure. about, and and if all the stars were in line, and everything turned out pretty good. Yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, little things had to fall into place for it to happen. Kiss Alive had to come out. They had to come to Terre Haute. I had to hook up with a with a program director, and right, that's what happened. Right. I mean, if you had to look back through all of your involvement through history, if you had to pull one moment that you would say, hey, that was my defining moment or my fondest memory, my involvement with KISS, what would, what would it be? Getting on stage in front of my hometown, uh, 10,000 people getting a plaque from the band, when all those people in this audience told me it couldn't happen, it wouldn't happen, including my own parents, who admitted that they were wrong and mm -hmm. that I was right, and um, it's it's amazing that the people that uh, were giving me grief in high school happened to be in the audience. Wow! Six months after my graduation, and I was I was definitely um, 
you know, on top. Yeah. I mean, it was it was yeah. it was a, a really bizarre ending to a story that was just couldn't have imagined how it happened because it happened in less than a year's time. Right, right. I mean, we were even producing our own T-shirts at the time because the band had never thought about it. Wow. Now you go out in that hallway and look and see how many shirts are out there. <laughs> we mass produced them. We, there's a picture we posed for in the restroom at our high school. We had our own T-shirts, which were made after the first album. Wow. And uh, some of these guys, in the original eight or nine of us, I think, may still have one of their shirts, but I don't have mine. And of course, even if I did, I couldn't fit in the thing. Right. But, but, you know, it was, I don't know. We didn't intentionally do it to meet the band, and that's what happened, though. How old were you at that time? 18 years old. 18, wow. What a time, eh? Oh, Maybe. yeah. And would you ever have thought that it would be going strong now, like this today? Yes and, yes and no. Um, I think in 90, 1995, I was shocked that, that um, there was still an interest. Right. And then when the makeup was put back on after that I was pretty much sure that they could take this as far as they want to take mm -hmm. it I mean there's there's no limit on it right, and yeah. so so ever since 1995 2000 2005 2009 I'm not surprised by any of this oh, no no, no, yeah. no yeah. I, 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 I still think that there's a, a lot of things that could be accomplished that's out there for them if they really want to try it mm -hmm. you know I mean I don't care if it's coming out with DVDs or mm -hmm another tour or whatever i mean uh another album i, I you know nothing surprises right, me now right right yeah they're in the studio again and uh how do you right. feel about that well it's that's 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 encouraging i think that's what a lot of people want and a lot yeah. of people are are curious i mean uh one of the unique things about meeting all these people at these expos is everybody has a different era that they like mm -hmm. it might be the first era it could be the bruce era right. the, uh, eric era everybody has a certain certain era that they like mm -hmm. so um, that's what's neat. And now this album, again, is going to probably create another, another group of fans. Era. Yeah, for the new Kiss Army. Yes, exactly. Yeah, and I mean, that's, that's how people associate with these albums. Right with, you know. Um, so how do you feel about the new Kiss Army when you hear that term, the new Kiss Army? I don't, know, like I don't know that there is a new Kiss Army. I think there's okay. just several factions of it. Interesting. I, I, Very I, interesting. I don't think that there is a new... Um, you know, now the band may think of that as another way, but most people that do anything with the band in regards to, you know, research or fandom or anything, usually it always comes back to what happened in Terre Haute. Mm -hmm. And, you know, KISS may change drummers and guitar players and things like that, but the, the KISS Army thing is always going to be there. Right, right. And, and that can't be changed. Yeah. So, you know. Yeah. Long so after they're gone, the, the KISS Army will still be around. In some ways, they probably will be, and they will probably still have these gatherings and still will be coming together and, and celebrating the existence or what the band meant to them mm -hmm. at one time in their life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's interesting how much it's what the band meant to them at the time of their exactly. life. The same thing for me when I was 15 exactly. and how I, it meant to me. And and I have so many people come up to me and they say silly stuff like, uh, you changed my life. And I say, no, I didn't change your life. Mm -hmm. I mean, in some ways, in some how KISS changed your life in right. some way. And that's, that's fantastic. You know, right. I mean, that gave these people something to, to, to a reason to look forward to something. Right, right. So, you know, who's to say that that's not worth something? It is. Yes, yeah, it is. When the whole thing eventually comes to an end, and we know it won't end because there will always be fans of KISS, but when these guys say, I'm done, what, 
How do you think you will react to something like that? Well, I, I, there's been a couple times when I thought that they were gonna, they were gonna end it, um, because of rumors I'd heard about people in the band and all that, and and commitments and things like that. And I'll admit that that, um, you know, uh, I didn't like it, but you know, I think still people still get a lot of enjoyment out of people like the Beatles, even though. Two out of the four of them are no longer there. Right. So I mean, you can't say that um, people still don't enjoy it. I mean, yeah. of course it will be a, you know, I, I you got to look at realistically. I mean, guys are 60 years old and getting hip replacements and stuff like that. You can't expect them to go out there and do what you saw them do when they were 24. Right. right. So you, it it makes just getting to see them at all now all that more special. Mm -hmm. And you know. I mean, I, I'm, I know I can't do things at 52 that I could at 22, mm -hmm. so I can't possibly expect them to keep doing the same, you know, kind of thing. Right, right. So, but we're grateful that they're still out there doing right, it. Right, right. Yeah. Making it happen. Exactly. And I think this year's going to be a big year for them. Um, how many shows have you seen over the years? Um, Oh, somewhere in the teens, maybe. I've never yeah. really sat down and looked or counted. Maybe in the 20s. I don't, I don't know. Not as many as some people would think. Um, but each one has been unique in its own special way. I mean, uh, I, I, know, I know probably Paul and Gene wouldn't feel that way, but there was something about those early shows when I know things were probably hard back then, but I just was just thought that there was something unique about them that I knew these guys were going to make it mm -hmm. because of just the way they were. I mean, mm -hmm. you could honestly tell that they were busting their butts up there. I love hearing that. Yeah. Bob Kulik, last year we met in mm -hmm. Cleveland, and he was talking about that very similar thing when he, he talked about how he auditioned for the band. And then Ace had come in and gotten the gig, I guess, and how Bob went to see them week later or so their first show and he said he could tell even of the first one that they're gonna oh this is it they're gonna be big yeah that, that's that's real interesting to see that you could see all that right then well you gotta remember like, i saw them when they were doing opening act stuff and they right. would do stuff like i saw them play like a five-hour marathon in S indianapolis here at the convention center oh wow and the last headlining act was was ario speedwagon and mm -hmm. ario was at hits here mm -hmm. Correct. and ario left the stage and and kiss even though they were an opening act wanted to play last oh wow and those of us that stayed knew kiss would be there mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and i kept telling you you gotta stay you got to i know you think this is over and ours but this is why we're here mm -hmm. we're seeing these guys and kiss didn't come on till 12 30 sunday morning oh wow and paul comes out there and says hello indianapolis better late than never and it was the same kick-ass show wow. you can imagine Incredible. and yeah. it's sunday morning yeah. Incredible. and and it was the second time i'd seen him and um it was only after Hotter Than Hell was out. Mm -hmm. I there was a level of professionalism, a level of commitment that that band had. That that's the reason why they're still around mm -hmm. today. Mm -hmm. I mean, say what you want, band members moving and whatever else, but still, there's a reason why these guys are still around. Mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, absolutely. and and I don't know. I, there was a certain arrogance about them that you would play last, even though you were the opening act. You were going to take that chance that after everybody cleared that hall you were still going to perform. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. Now, who would still do something like that? Or, or what headlining <laughs> act would be dumb enough to allow it to happen? Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
But that's what I saw. Wow. That, that I, I would not trade that for mm -hmm. anything. And don't get me wrong, I love the shows now. I mean, I think Eric and Tommy provide something to the band that's really been a long time coming. Again, it's different. Mm -hmm. It's not to diss any of the other past people, but right. they, they all had, they, their, parts. They all had yeah. their parts and they all had special contributions that mm -hmm. other people can't take away from them. But, but the current lineup as it is now is is as formidable as anything, if, if, if maybe more formidable. Because mm -hmm. you, you just don't have the same problems. Right, so, right, you know, right, I mean, yeah. so that's just my opinion. Yeah. yeah, well, that's good. Great opinion to have. Well, anything else here you got, Mike? One more strange question. You're stranded on a, an island. <laughs> you have enough battery juice to play one more Kiss album. Which one's it going to be? The first one. The first one, yeah? The first How come? Um... There was just something, there's something different about the first three or four albums, but there's something really special about that first album, because it, it's, it's um, I don't know, it's just hard to explain. I, I think, you know, if I had, I don't know, Deuce has always been one of my favorite songs. Yeah, mine, mine too. Yeah, yeah mine too. And maybe it's because that was always the opener. Yeah. But, you know, any album that's got, you know, Black Diamond and Firehouse and all that on it, I mean, mm -hmm. Cold Gin, I mean, it's a pretty good album. And, you know, Destroyer's good. But it's funny how Destroyer will be remembered in the context of Kiss history compared to other albums. You know, they, they all had their own unique thing. I mean, I thought, I thought Dress to Kill would be bigger than what it was, but it, it didn't take off. Right. But thank God Alive came out. And, you know, now I saw on the website the other day that ALO said that Alive was one of the top albums to die for. Well, not only was that unique at that time, but live albums weren't really popular until right, live. Right, they weren't. Exactly. And I'm old enough to remember that. So, Well, I remember that's the first thing I heard was Kiss was the drum solo for 100,000 years. There you go, yeah. <laughs> and that's what happened. It was a drum solo. Exactly. So, yeah. yeah, that so, was a great so, album. So the first album would probably be, wow. there's just something about Nothing to Lose, Strutter, Deuce, oh, nothing to lose Firehouse, time. Black Diamond. Core album, core yeah, and, and, you know... Um, that's just my opinion, you know. It was so they, they, that's how they're going to be attempting to go at this studio album this time, in the vein of like their early years in the first yeah. album. So that's pretty cool way to approach it even, too. It's a good way to approach yeah. it. I don't know if it's the same. I mean, are they the same starving it, guys yeah, they it were? It could be, know? but I know how they want to capture sort of maybe the sound, right. you know, they analog were, they're, recording. They're, there was that go like for that. broke attitude they had when I saw them that was neat. Yeah, yeah. But it's, yeah. They had nothing As to a, lose. They had nothing to lose. Exactly. They, they, were, they were the opening acts playing last. Yeah. Wow. And it was just cool to see it all come together like it did. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. and then, like I said, in Terre Haute, to know that the guys that didn't, the, well, the program director that's to this day still lasts and says, he goes, I, I knew they'd be big. And I'm like, no, you didn't. You, right. never, you had no idea. You tried, you tried everything you could. I mean, yeah. I remember um, they had thrown away all their albums mm -hmm. purposely. Mm hmm and they asked me after a while to borrow mine, so I could. So I hear I had to borrow my mom's car to drive over there, yeah. so they could they could <laughs> recopy the albums that they would have had if they hadn't thrown them away. Right, right. And then originally they did something to torment me. They played um, "Love Theme" from Kiss mm -hmm. as a sieg into the national radio segment. Mm -hmm. And when I called and complained, and they said, "Well, what are you complaining about?" Kiss Army Commander in Chief. Mm -hmm. We we said we'd play a Kiss song. I said, yeah, but not that one. Right. You know, so that's the kind of little cat and mouse games we had that's going a on. Back yeah. and forth. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so yeah. you know. Great. Great. So that's that's I don't know. That's it. 
Yeah, interesting. Well, Bill, it's been a pleasure to have you on podcast. Okay. Pleasure to meet you, too. Thank you. And uh, we'll be looking forward to talking to you in the future, too, That's at fantastic. other uh, expos and things like that. That's great. I'm glad to know you're yeah. here. You come to this indie one all the time, right? Yeah, yeah pretty much. Keith and Steve make me feel very welcome. And, you yeah. know, it's, it's just a... It's just a 30-minute drive from where I live, yeah, so, yeah. you know, it's in, in the end, it's a special place with KISS, so, you mm -hmm. know. Mm -hmm. Always great to come out and meet KISS fans. Any yeah, oh, absolutely. And to meet you, just incredible to meet you in person. Well, thank you. It's been very good. So thank, thank you. you very much, thank Bill. Thank you very much. Good. Take care. Big thanks to Mike Myocker and Jeff Guthrow for conducting that interview. You guys did a great job. Yeah, they are the unsung heroes of the podcast, folks. A lot of these great interviews and stuff we get, they... They're the ones going out there and doing it. We can't say enough good things about these guys. Mike and Jeff, thank you so much. We pledge allegiance to the state of rock and roll.
That's part one of our show. Don't forget to download part two. Lots more to come.